Good morning, Grace. Our scripture reading today is in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk, chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answers plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look, around, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. But soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? Surely your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy you security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But the murderers you committed will have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They worked so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon and now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror, terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the living God. Lord, that there is no one else. We are in awe of you. And Lord, as we come this morning, I ask that you quiet our hearts and minds so that we may hear from your spirit this morning. Lord, as Pastor Doug comes and shares with us what he has prepared, what you have laid on his heart, Lord, I ask that it would uh, stir within us a desire to draw closer to you. Lord, I ask that you would be with each and every one of us for these next few weeks as things start to ramp up for uh, different holidays, different events. Lord, I ask that you would bless each and every one of us with patience and peace. 
Lord, we are in awe of you. We honor you with this worship. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I don't know the last time I've had this much time. This could be dangerous for you. I could uh, take out all of my less time and take it out on all of you this morning, but I trust I won't do that. I've been told, are you supposed to wear white after a certain time, like in a year? No. Honey, why didn't you tell me? You let me out the house looking like this with white on. What? Well, anyway, I do have other colored shirts, but I thought I would wear white this morning. Proves that we still have a free will. Before we get to the the, uh, text, I want to uh, give you uh, an announcement that highlights our dear sister, uh, Judy Dyer. As all of you know, that the prayers that went out for her, uh, her hip did go out of joint again, and uh, they rushed her to the hospital to have it put back in place, and it didn't stay, so they did surgery, emergency surgery, and in it, uh, they affected her sciatic nerve, and any of you that have had a problem with that realize that that's very painful. But Brian said there's a possibility that she may be able to come home tomorrow. So we'll remember that in prayer, and also, if you would mind, giving the Lord a praise offering for that. And another one. In the back row, to my left, your right, sitting there is a young lady who was brought through a surgery. And I told Miss Sandy Straub that when she would come here, we would make sure that we give the Lord a praise offering for her healing from a surgery that she had on her ankle. So here she is, and here we go. Let's give the Lord a praise offering this morning. We rejoice with you, Miss Sandy, that you are here this morning and uh, able to walk around a little bit better without as much pain, and we're glad with you. Yes, dear, go right ahead. I know I've touched the cord. Go right ahead. Amen. It was our privilege to pray for you. Well, here we are once again. I ask if you have not, or maybe you've already closed your Bibles up, But if you would turn back to the passage that Pastor Steve read for us in Habakkuk chapter 2, you will find there, again, an interesting relationship, conversation, if you will, that God has with him. Those of you that were here uh, last Sunday morning, you'll remember that we, we left Habakkuk standing on the wall, standing on the rampart, if you will, of the wall, waiting and anticipating 
God's answer to his prayer, to his statement that he made in the last verse of chapter 1. In the last verse of chapter 1, Habakkuk asks, is this going to go on forever? How long is this going to continue? I, I don't think necessarily he was referring to the fact that God was going to raise the Babylonians to do his bidding in the situation that Habakkuk is talking about in chapter 1. But it may be also included in the fact that Habakkuk is wondering, when is this all going to take place? And so when we come to chapter 2, now we have God's answer, not necessarily what Habakkuk was looking for, by the way. It didn't do him much good. It didn't bring him a whole lot of happiness. But it is God's warning, both to the nation of Israel and when you get to verse 6, you will find out that he gives five woes to the Babylonians. We'll get to those, I trust, in the time that is allotted to us this morning. But I do want to at least make mention of the fact that you might remember that Habakkuk had a problem with God's tolerance and God's timing. Now, and that's evident as far as Habakkuk is looking at. He says, why do I have to still look at all of this stuff? And when are you going to do something, God? Now, what's relative to that is relative to even our own time and in our own day. When we look at the world and the mess that it's in, we kind of want ask the same questions, don't we? How long, O oh Lord God? How long? It's not a new question because you might remember even the disciples asked Jesus, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? How long? And, and so here we find ourselves in some way a little bit of connectiveness to this Habakkuk, to this prophet. Now there's one thing I have to at least uh, cover to, uh, to be able to set this account in order. A prophet never spoke on his own. A prophet was given information by God to reveal to the ones whom he is directed to. And so when we read chapter 1 and read chapter 2, specifically the last part of chapter 1 and now in chapter 2, we're going to realize that these are the words that God told Habakkuk to write and to say. And so with that in motion, at least I want you to, again, garner, if you will, the first uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through verse 5. Because there's three things I want to speak of this morning. I want to speak of God's answer, the Lord's answer, the Lord's judgment, and the Lord's glory. The Lord's answer, the Lord's judgment, and the Lord's glory. We find them in this particular chapter 2, from verses 2 all the way through to verse 20. But first of all, let's look at, if you will, just very quickly. Uh, I won't have time to develop everything that we see here. And, and you all say amen in your hearts. I know that. Praise the Lord. But anyway, we're, we're going to deal with this as if we're flying at 40,000 feet. We're moving quickly. So first thing I want to look at this morning with you is the Lord's answer. Notice it in verses 2 to verse 5 as Pastor Steve wrote that. In fact, it gives us the idea that it says, the Lord answered me. Well, in this particular one, the first thing that the Lord answered was this is that you are to write 
something. Notice what it says. It says in, in verse 2, write the vision. Write it down. You're supposed to write it in such a manner that individual, individual runners, it says, could take the message and disperse it as they would go. But it also speaks of the implicity and the simplicity of it. It has with it a warning that a time is coming. But it has to be kept simple that it could be read, read very quickly and then move on. It had to be written in a way that it was very light to carry as runners would have taken it out through the, the providence of Judah, by the way, the lower two tribes of the nation of Israel, Benjamin and Judah. It had to be dispersible. It had to be readable. But in it, in this particular, I want you to garner at least these three things, if I can say that. Number one, the answer is this, write it down. Write it down. Now, what is he writing down? That, that's the question that comes to mind. What is he writing down? Well, the issue, the, at least he's, he's not writing down what's passing through his mind. Remember, as I told you before, a prophet is commanded to write what the Lord wants them to write. They are to say what the Lord wants them to say. And here we have what's a wonderful truth, if you want to have at least a proof of the inspiration of the scriptures that this is God's word, that a prophet never writes something that's of his, of his own thinking. And so here in this word of Habakkuk, at least when God says, write it down, you've got this understanding that it's here that's God speaking. And of course, our mind quickly runs to 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scriptures given by inspiration of God, there it is, God breathed, write it down. And it is profitable. So this prophet Habakkuk is to write down what he is being told. Now notice, if you will, what are the things he's being told? Well, first of all, it's this. The revelation awaits an appointed time. Notice what it says here. Make it plain on tabs and run to who reads it. For the vision is the, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It's coming. There's a promise, too, that it's coming our way. See, what's so wonderful about reading Habakkuk is we can think of even in our own time and day, can't we? And I know all of you are wondering, Lord Jesus, when are you coming back? Isn't that what Jesus said? In fact, in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And all of us are sitting here this morning, when? When's it going to happen? We would like to have seen it happen yesterday, at least at least, maybe in some of our situations. I was grocery shopping with my wife and my two daughters yesterday. That would have been a good time. <laughs> that would have been a wonderful time. Whether I had to pay for them or not, if I'd had to pay for them, and, and, and then the Lord take us home, wonderful. That's okay, let someone else take them. But the issue is always on our mind. Lord, we see this mess. We're not any, we're, we are not divorced from Habakkuk at all in this situation. We see what's happening in our nation. And we wonder, Lord, when are you coming back? When? It's an appointed time. And what's interesting about that, from Habakkuk's point of view, he's going on with life. 
You know, there's a time to be born, a time to die, and as it goes on, and, and from his perspective, it seems as though history is just going around and around and around. Nothing seems to be changing at all. Nothing's getting any better. And now he says, God says, no, I want you to write this down. Write, write it down clear. And so and what it's going to do is an appointed time. I haven't disclosed the time to you. You're just going to have to trust me. And isn't that what the Lord wants us to do? He has not disclosed the time of when he's, the trumpet's going to blow, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be called up to meet with them to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall ever be with the Lord. He's not given us a time. That can happen even today. And I would really love to have it happen before I get to my next point, but it hasn't happened yet. So here we are. God hasn't given us a time. He's given us a promise. It is going to happen. It's an awaited time. Notice the second part of that in Revelation, though, again in verse 3. For it says, a revelation speaks of an end. It is going to end, by the way. It's not going to go on forever. It's going to end. And we know dogmatically from history that the Babylonian Empire finished. It was done in 539 B.C. And you can read about it because it, it highlights that in Daniel, if you would, Daniel chapter 5. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar's son is having this big party. And a hand come and writes on the wall. And everyone gets, a, everyone gets afraid. And, and the writing literally says, God says, your days are numbered. It's over. And we know that the Persian Empire came in and took over all of the Babylonian kingdom. It's not going to go on forever, dear people. God is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. This mess that we find ourselves isn't going to last forever. And we can take great comfort in that, can't we? To realize that truth. Well, the third thing about this revelation, again, if we continue on in verse, in verse 3, is that it will not prove false. It's going to happen. What God says is going to happen. It's not going to be a shot in the dark. It's not going to be, well, maybe, or maybe, well, we hope so. No, it's going to happen. We don't know the time specifically. And then lastly, you'll, you'll see in verses 4 and 5 that there's this comparison. The comparison between a righteous life that lives by faith compared to those who are puffed up in their pride and they continue on as life goes on. And now when you get to that, you got to wonder if maybe, just maybe, there's another author that wrote one of the Psalms, Psalm 73. Because it's in that Psalm that the writer has these particular words to say as he writes. He, 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 he looks at it and he's wondering, all of these unrighteous people are just going on in life. They're living unrighteously and they're being prosperous. And he says, I'm, my feet almost slipped. I almost succumbed to this. And, and virtually that's what Habakkuk is wrestling with. When is it all going to stop? When is God going to do something? Well, and that leads us to God's judgment, doesn't it? In verses 6 down to verse 19 is five woes. Pastor Steve's translation didn't say woe to you. He said, 
what's coming to you, sort of giving the same indication. But there's five woes that are listed here. And when you go to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives to the Pharisees woes. It's almost like he, he gives them a nice swift kick, if you will, in their theological pants. He tells them, woe to you Pharisees. And here there are five of them in this particular verses of 6 to 19. And if we can just go over them quickly, I, I can't spend the time to develop them because if I did, we'd still be here tomorrow morning. But just let me at least highlight some of them for you. The first woe we see in verses 6 to 8. It's injustice. Injustice. It says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. In verse 8 it says, you have plundered many nations. Injustice. In other words, God sounds out a woe to a nation that has been conquered that has, has conquered lands to which it has no more right to do. They're taking hold of it, if you will. And, and they're taking everything that doesn't belong to them for the simple reason to gather for themselves riches. Now, it's interesting that Pastor Steve, in his translation, talked about individual, if you will, these particular ones, when it talks about the fact of it is, is that uh, strong wine there's a battle between theologians that, that was referenced to not only wine, but money. But in, in fact, the Hebrew word is pretty close in both of those words. So why don't we just put them together? The, these this individuals, this nation of Babylon is not satisfied. They want more, just more. Now, I'm hoping that at least you're, you're conjuring up a thought process, and it's this. Yes, Habakkuk is writing a warning to the nation of Babylon. Yes. But can you see the, at least the connection with the United States? I, I trust as we go through this, you, you'll know. We're not satisfied, are we, as a people? We always want more. It, it's flabbergasting to me, and, and if you've bought one, that's quite all right. That's, that's between you and the bank. But I find it very difficult to part with $70,000, $80,000 for a truck. But we got to have it, don't we? We got to have that. And then you get 10, 12 years to pay for it. Isn't that an exciting truth? We're not satisfied with what we have. We, we, we always want more. There's always got to be more. We got to outdo the Joneses next door. Well, maybe we do. And if you have the finances to do that, hey, Lord bless you. But you would be staggered to know the amount of individuals presently in the United States per family that is in credit card debt at about 28 to 30 percent interest. It would stagger you to know that. We're not satisfied. We, we, we always want more. We're not, we're, we're not pleased with just what we have. We want more. And so God is saying, woe to you, this nation. Now, there is some skepticism that he may be referring to the leader of this nation, in particularly Nebuchadnezzar, or the nation itself as a people. But I realize, as the leader is, so is the nation. Have you figured that out yet? 
as the leader is, so is our nation. Here we are in the midst of one of the biggest messes we've ever had in the last three and a half years. But maybe it's God's plan, isn't it? Maybe it's God's will. Maybe God permitted it. I suspect he did. For what reason, God? To get your attention that the time is coming, the end is near. Maybe so. I don't know. All I do know is it is coming sometime. Well, let's look at the next woe, can we? In verses 9 through 11. It says, Woe to those who make failed attempts at security. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. There's injustice again. But notice, at least in my translation, it says, to set his nest on high. And he does so in order to escape the clutches of ruin. Uh, Set his nest on high. Some of you may not remember this. I've done some historical uh, uh, fact-finding, if you will. But there was a, a building that was built that was called the Eagle's Nest. Do you know who built that? Or had it built for him when he was in his 50th birthday party? Hitler. His private residence was known as the Eagle's Nest. And he built it, or at least it was built for him when he was 50 years old, in order that he and his henchmen, the totalitarian, totalitarian, if you will, leaders of that country at that time, could get together and sip tea and plan their next battle. Eagle's Nest. He built it up there so that, thinking that at least no one can get to him. But you know what the warning is here? It'll all come crashing down. It'll fall on your head. The stones will remember. Also, the beams will follow suit. Almost like they are chanting back and forth. Your day is coming. Your day is coming. And didn't it come? But we look at it even in our own selves, don't we? How is it that this nation is going to escape it? How is it that any nation in the world is going to escape it? That our, that our representatives, at least they should be re- reminded that there are representatives. They're not my leaders. They're supposed to be my representative. How is it that they feel that they can have so many different kinds of promises to be kept, if you want to say it? I'll, I'll just say it. They're building their nests on high for all the hopes of being protected that no one can get to them. Well, it's all going to come down, God says. It's going to fall down on your head. It will crush you. When is that going to happen? I don't know. But it is. It is going to happen. Let's look at the third woe in verses 12 to 14. Cruelty. It says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime, who holds life cheap, who uses the workers to build and beautify his temple and his palace and his own place, who watch slaves die under the blows of the taskmasters. There will be blood. And look at the fertility of it for nothing. For nothing. All of the individuals who have built empires, when they lay in the casket, all of that stays here. They never take it with them. 
I may have told you this story, but at least I believe it's true. A story was told of a very rich man who put in his will that there was a certain way that he was to die. He had a very favorite vehicle, and he wanted to be propped in the front seat of that vehicle with a lit cigar as he is lowered into the grave. Well, the day came that he did die, and so they made the preparations that was in his will. And as the processional was going, they, they got to the, to the uh, if you will, the cemetery, and there's a crane waiting for them to come. And they hooked that vehicle up, and they began to lower it down in. And as they were lowering that vehicle into the grave, individuals were heard saying, man, what a way to live. It all stays here. It all stays here. And, and notice, if you will, that at the end of the day, when the wind has blown and when time has done its work, when political forces have risen, all of that amounts to nothing. Nothing. Well, let's move on to the fourth woe. It says in verses 15 to 17, Consider the people stripped not only of their clothes, but of their honor and their dignity. You will be filled with shame, and in verse 16, instead of glory. Now you notice all these little woes, if you will, have a certain elasticity about them. Yes, Habakkuk was writing to a particular time. But he's really not, if you will, tying these things to a moment in time, nor to a particular people. He's speaking on the direction of God. This is God's determination. This is God's will to this nation's. And we would do well, every nation would do well to look at these and wonder, am I in the same boat? And there's a, there's a theme that comes about in my mind, and maybe you've heard it before. If the shoe fits, wear it. Here it is. It's all very plain for us to read. This is not something that is by and by. It can very well be now. But you'll also notice, if it's interesting to, to come about, is that as, as the, uh, Habakkuk is writing these things, we realize that as he says in verses uh, 17, if you will, that violent, or, I'm sorry, verse 16, you feel shame and glory, drink yourself and show uncircumcision, the cup of the Lord's right hand will come upon you and utter shame will be upon your glory. You've gotten so drunk that you pour out wrath and, and you gaze at people's nakedness. I was astounded to realize that the number one producing country of porno pornographic material is the United States. Number one. And we think we're going to get away with it. Do we really think we're going to get away with it? And Habakkuk is writing here, and he's, and he's finally saying in verse 17 another thing. And, and we have to scratch our heads and wonder, how did this make it into the text? He talks about how they have tore down or vanquished, if you will, Lebanon. Well, what is that doing there? Well, you go back and you realize that in biblical history, Lebanon, the, the country of Lebanon, was noted for a, 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 at least one great thing, is their timber. And this Babylonian empire stripped it all. 
cut it all down, laid it to waste, and you'll notice also they didn't treat animals very well. And that brings to me to a thought that maybe we as believer people, how are we taking care of the things that God has given to us? Are, are we stripping them of God's provision, thinking that we deserve them? No. I, I think there's a biblical response here that we need to have as believer people to the ecology. Now, I'm not a tree hugger, believe me. I figure if you cut a tree down, just plant another one. It's the only renewable resource, by the way. Cut a tree down. Yes, you can do that. But are we really wasting? Do we really have to have more? And if I can, and I'm going to help Jim out, our, our custodian here. Please. Double please. You leave a room, you shut the light off. I didn't get no amens on that, but anyway. <laughs> you leave the room, if you're the last one in there, shut the light off. If you see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. Put, throw it away. Help our custodian. He's getting old. He can't do this much longer. <laughs> and I know, we've talked about that. But it's about taking care of what God's given us. That, that's what it boils down to. You've, you've ravaged Babylon. You, you've hurt animals. It's all going to come back to you. That's what God is saying. Well, what about ourselves? Are we doing the same thing? Oh, but there's one more that we have to highlight. One more. And it's verses 18 to 20. It says, what, what value is an idol? No value at all. Woe, it says to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. It's absolutely useless. It's an interesting book if you wish to buy it. I think it wouldn't waste your money. The book is entitled, The Courage to be Protestant. The title is not going to grab you. It's, I understand that. It was written by an individual by the name of David Wells. And he comments in that book this. He says this. The idolatry of the 21st century America is the idolatry of me. Wow. It's the idolatry of self. And again, if the shoe fits, wear it. Idolatry. What value is it? Specifically, if we were to look inside ourselves for God or thinking that we can take care of everything, how foolish is that? How foolish. And so the writer of Hebrews, or Habakkuk, excuse me, <clears throat> comments on idolatry, and he said it's foolishness. But now I want you to take a look at verse 20 look at verse 20 it says but the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silent before him we've, we've dealt quickly I know it has been and I, I, I kind of think maybe at least I hope that you'll go back and read Habakkuk chapter 2 over again 
We've, we've dealt with the Lord's answer. We've dealt with the Lord's judgment. Now we come to the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory. But it's interesting that when we get to chapter 3, Lord willing, next week, we'll see an interesting verse as it says in chapter 3, verse 2. It says, in your judgment, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Isn't it amazing that throughout the scriptures we find instances of God's judgment, but yet there's also his mercy? Adam and Eve, for instance, when they sinned against God and they were dispelled from the garden, but yet before they were excused from the garden, in God's judgment, he also showed his mercy by creating for them or giving to them covering for their, for their bodies. And then there's the time of Noah. Again, God's judgment is coming. That's, that was Noah's message. But even in that, I'm sure Noah may have said the words sort of like this when he said, even though God's judgment is coming, there's still a place that you can have his mercy. All you have to do is come to the ark and get inside. And then when you go to the cross of Calvary, well, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And even though he willingly gave of himself in order that he may die for the sin of the world. And, and all, the, all he asks is that you would believe. And that you would trust in him. And even in that moment, his mercy of God is so evident as it is even today. Someone once said that the, that the train of life runs on two rails. Grace and mercy of God. And they're both available. And even in that, as, a, as this particular chapter closes and as our time also closes, we realize that we are to be silent. It's not that we're not supposed to talk. It's not that we're not supposed to sing. The reality of it is, 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 is you go back and you read this particular passage. When you go back to verse 4, you realize that we're supposed to live by faith. We're not supposed to be caught up in worry. We're not supposed to be caught up in, well, what's God going to... No, we're not to, to cower in a corner. We're to walk and we're to live by faith. And that's what God has for us. And when he, taught, when he calls us that we are... Let all the work keep, earth keep silent before him. It's that trust in him. Why? Because of his glory. He still reigns in heaven. He hasn't left his throne. He hasn't thrown up his hands and say, oh, well. He hasn't sung the song, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. He doesn't worry about, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow. No. He's established this glorious plan. And the fruition of it, if you wish to follow through, is to go to the book of the Revelation and read it, specifically 20 and 21. And there you will see the grandeur, the end of it all, that our Lord Jesus is going to reign again on this earth. He is going to establish his kingdom. God's plan is going to come to fruition. And man, no matter what they do, they can't stop it. Thus the issue let all the earth remain silent. All of what God will do. 
I don't know all that God has planned for this country, but I do know what God has planned for those who have trusted in him. There's a promise, a promise and a wonder that we can't even begin to understand all of it, but a promise of always being with him in glory. Do you know the Savior? Even in this time, his mercy is so rich. And all he, all he wants you to do is, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Have you done that? Oh, I trust you have. And then we will remain silent because our God still reigns in heaven. Let's pray. Father, your word is, uh, we use the term true, and we know that. And when we have quickly gone through this passage, we realize too that though Habakkuk is getting information concerning the kingdom of Babylon, yet in all reality, what they are guilty of, so are we. And you wonder, oh, Lord God, at least I do, I wonder how long will it be. But we're willing, oh, Lord, to realize that you are seated in the throne of your glory and that we are to remain silent, not to worry, not to cower, but we are to trust in you and in you alone. And so in these days that we face, O oh Lord God, let us be as wise as serpent, gentle as doves. But at the same time, be ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within us with all the godly fear and trembling. Because you're worthy. And we will wait on you, O oh Lord God, for the development of your plan in our lives here at Grace Community Church. And we'll praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we, for the benediction.